Well, hey friends, it is so good to see you today. My name is Clay Munkus and I'm the lead pastor here at Next Level. If we've never met, I'd love to meet you sometime. And I'm thrilled that you joined us today because we're in part four of a series called Starting Point. And if you've missed any part of the series, you can catch up by going to our website over at nextlevelchurch.org and you'll find all of the messages there. But the premise for this entire series, let me kind of summarize where we're at in this, is simply this. Everything in life has a starting point. Everything, including your faith journey. Faith has a starting point. And for most of us, it started when we were kids. And as a kid, some adult probably came along and said, hey, here, believe this. And since you didn't know what to believe, you just went with what they said. And as a kid, it all seemed to work for you. Then, more than likely, you hit high school or college, you know, and we kind of forget about all the stuff we learned as a kid, probably not intentionally, but you know, you're busy learning other things and building a life for yourself as an adult. And for many of us, when we thought about God or Jesus or church or faith in general, there was this growing gap between what we'd been taught as children and what we were experiencing as adults. And so we responded to that gap in probably uh, one or maybe a couple of different ways. Some of us said, you know what, I'm just going to believe it anyway. And we were able to build a strong foundation of faith from what we were taught as a child. Then there were others of us who wanted to believe anyway, but we just kind of ignored all the questions that we had about faith. Or maybe we ran from anything that we felt like, well, that might just undermine my faith, so I'm not going to look at that or I'm not going to deal with that. And then there are others, and I kind of put myself in this category. Uh, We looked at the reality that we're experiencing and said, look, there's a problem. Because I was taught one thing about faith, and there is this huge gap between that and the reality that I'm experiencing. And maybe for you, uh, you you didn't make a decision to walk away from your faith, right? I I didn't decide to walk away, but it just kind of melted away over time and became more and more irrelevant. But now... For some reason, you find yourself in a place where something inside of you is calling you back to God, calling you back to faith, but you don't want to just return to what you think is kind of an immature, naive kind of faith. Uh, You know you just can't ignore reality in front of you either, but at the same time, you can't ignore this pulling of your heart that you feel. So, what do you do with all of that? That is why we're doing this series, where we're kind of asking the question, what would it look like to start all over with faith? Like, like, what would it look like to have an adult starting point for faith? Uh, what, what if we began asking for adult answers to some of our biggest questions about faith? And today, we're going to look at one of those questions that deserves, it really truly deserves, an adult answer. And I'm sure you have asked this question, even if you haven't asked it out loud. And here is the question. What's with all the rules? Like, when you think about religion, you think about faith, what is with all the rules, right? And and this just isn't a Christian thing because in every religion, there are some rules, right? Uh, Some of the rules are the same rules. Many of the rules are different rules. But in every religion, there is a rule maker. And guess what? It never gets to be us, does it, right? And, And because we don't get to make the rules, generally what happens is we find ourselves running into those rules or fenced in by them. And again, this isn't just a Christian thing. Jews, they have their rules. Muslims have their rules. Hindus have rules. Buddhists have rules. Every religion has rules. So what's the deal with these rules? 
Why are rules a part of religion? Because let's be honest, it's the rules that we rebel against, isn't it? Rules are probably why you left faith. It's why you stopped going to church or quit going to temple or whatever your religious community was called. One of the main reasons that people walk away from their faith, at least what they tell me, is the rules. Or, or maybe you didn't walk away from faith. Maybe you just disobeyed the rules, right? And by disobeying the rules, that got you kicked out of your faith community, right? You break the rules, you get kicked out. Rules, they, they can just seem so restrictive, and they never seem to work with the real world. So again, what is the deal with all these rules? What's with all the rules? So let's begin with something that you may never have thought through before, and it's this. Rules always assume a relationship. Rules always assume a relationship. Whenever you have rules, there's some kind of relationship. And this is not just a religious thing. There are rules in all kinds of relationships outside of religion. And in any kind of relationship where you find yourself with any level of accountability, there will be a set of rules. Sometimes they're clear. Sometimes they're written down. Sometimes they're not clear. And you have, right, unwritten rules. But to help us understand this, let me give you a couple of really broad categories for rules. And the first one is this. Like a, when it comes to rules, here's a model, the family model. Right? In the family model of rules, the relationship precedes the rules. The family model is this. You were born into a family, and you were part of a family, and then your parents started making rules, right? They didn't make the rules to make you part of the family. You were already part of the family, and they established the rules. So when you were a kid growing up, you had rules, right? Not to become a part of the family, but because you were a part of the family. And so your parents would come up with rules, hey, because you're in this family, this is what bedtime is, right? And they would make rules for when you needed to be home or when you could talk on the phone. And now you have rules for screen time. When you can have screen time, when screen time is up, your parents were the ones who made the rules. And many times, other parents had different rules, right? They had different rules for their kids than your parents had for you. But your parents, they couldn't in enforce their rules on your friends, although I'm confident that they wish they could have, right? So this is really important. In the family model, rules are for the members of the family. The rules don't make you part of the family. The rules are because you are already a part of the family. And the parental units, your father, mother, or whoever is your parent in your life, they set the rules for their own kids. And again, the rules don't make you part of the family. The rules are because you already are a part of the family. But there's a second model when it comes to rules, and it's the club model. In the club model, an agreement with the rules is how their relationship is established up front. In this model, you agree to keep certain rules in order to get into or to begin the relationship. Some examples of this include when you accept a job or when you want to join a club, or when you join a team. Basically, when you join, or even sometimes before you're allowed to join, you take an oath or sign a contract to obey a certain set of rules. So in this model, the relationship is contingent upon you keeping the rules. So if you keep the rules, make the payments, show up at the meetings, do the required work, you get to stay in the relationship. But if you break the rules or don't do what is required, you might get a warning. But if you keep breaking the rules, you're out. The relationship is over. And maybe for you, 
maybe your family operated more like the club model than the family model. So again, the family model, you get the rules after the relationship is established. And in the club model, you actually get the rules ahead in order to establish the relationship. Then there's kind of this uh, third model. It's a little bit different. Uh, let me give it to you here. It's called the neighborhood association model, right? And in this model of relationships, you don't always know where you stand. Like you're kind of in, and, and you know they can't kick you out. Um, they just don't have to talk to you. And, and they can leave you little nasty notes in your mailbox until you remove the broken down car from your yard or you clean up the weeds or mow your grass. Like they can't actually force you to move out of the neighborhood, but they can treat you so poorly that you want to move out. Now, the point in all of this is wherever there are rules and wherever you're accountable to a set of rules, you're in some sort of a relationship. Those two things go together. Now, if you take these ideas and then you transpose that onto a religious belief or a religious system, you can see why this can get really confusing, right? So is our relationship with God, is it, is it like a family, you know, where, where you don't get kicked out? Like maybe there's discipline, but it's like a family. Or is it a club, right? An employer where, where you have to live out and, and your compliance to, it determines whether or not you stay in. Or is God like the neighborhood association where you're in because you're a human being? I mean, all human beings are in. But every once in a while, you're going to get a nasty little note in your mailbox, right? And you think, well, maybe God can't kick me out, but he can just really treat me bad. And, um, right, and he can make me feel guilty until I change my life or shame me to death. And I'll never be fully happy as a human being. And God's like, well, you know, I'll just put up with you for a few years and then it's going to be over. So which one is it? Because some of you were taught... It was the family model, right? But you felt like it was more like the club model. Or, or maybe you were raised that, no, no, it's more like the neighborhood association model where God just kind of tolerates you. But every once in a while you get a nasty note or God does something to punish you and you get a fine, right? It can all be really confusing. So to help us with this question, or at least create a framework uh, for your own struggle with it, I want us to go all the way back to one of the oldest set of rules, laws, ever given. They were given about 1446 B.C., so about 1,500 years before Jesus comes on the scene. And for some context, we're, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. And last week we said that the story of our faith began with a man named Abraham. It began when God looked at the mess that sin had created around the world and decided to wade into that ink blob on paper, right? He's going to wade into the mess and do something about it. And the place where he decided to start was with a man named Abraham, or Abram at the time. God delivers on his promise, and he gives him a son. Actually, gives him two sons. One son he has with his wife's servant, Hagar. You can read that whole story. And that son was named Ishmael, and that's the son that the Arab nations, they trace their heritage back to. And then his wife, Sarah, gives him a son, and they name him Jacob. Well, Jacob has 12 sons of his own, one of which is Joseph, who brings the entire family to live in Egypt, where he becomes the second in command. Whole story there. And over time, they start multiplying to the point that Egyptians are afraid they're going to take over their country. So they enslave the entire nation of Israel, and it stays that way for 400 years. Then along comes a man named Moses, whom God uses to set his people free. And God does some amazing miracles to convince Pharaoh to set the people free. And about three months after they are set free from Egypt, 
the descendants of Abraham are gathered at the foot of Mount Sinai, out in the Sinai Desert, and Moses goes up this mountain, and God gives him the law for the people, the Ten Commandments. And in the Ten Commandments, God begins by announcing his relationship with the nation, right? Not simply his requirements, here's my relationship. And I want you to notice this. In the prelude, in the beginning, the introduction of the Ten Commandments, we get a major insight into how religion and God and rules and law, how it begins to all fit together. So Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 says, And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God. I am your God, he says. So God assumes a relationship. And how did that relationship start? We talked about it last week. It started with Abraham. So, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. In other words, I am the one who did something for you without requesting anything from you. And you might expect that God would start with like, hey, I'm the Lord your God. And if you promise to do this, but he doesn't do that. He starts by taking them down memory lane. He recalls for them what had happened just three months earlier. Three months earlier, they were a nation of slaves. No hope, no God, no story, no future, no faith, no land. 400 years of slavery had sapped life and hope out of them. I mean, there might have been a few that were holding out on hope and heard the stories of Abraham. But after 400 years, those are more like fairy tales. Then... A miraculous thing happened. Out of nowhere, for a reason no one can even explain, God sends a deliverer, Moses. Moses spoke for their God, right? The God they had given up on. Moses confronted Pharaoh, and nature went crazy. Frogs, wind, hail, flies, locusts, darkness, like gnats, death of livestock, blood in the water, right? All kinds of things happened. And these had happened before, but not in a row, and not based on a slave's threat. So the entire economy of Egypt was decimated. Yet Pharaoh, he's like, I'm not going to let you go. So after demonstrating his power, God says to the nation of Israel, hey, I need you to trust me. He told him, I want you to put the blood of a lamb on your doorpost and over your door. And God, why would we do that? And God said, look, look, trust me. But what difference does that make? Trust me. But, but God, I, I don't know how this is going to make. I just need you to trust me. And so they did. And God sends an angel of death who passes over all the houses marked with blood where we get Passover. And the devastation in Egypt was so fierce that Pharaoh let them go. He set them free. Now, they're free, right? They hadn't done anything to deserve it. They just simply trusted. And here they are, three months later, gathered at the foot of this mountain. And God says, okay, now I'm going to give you some rules Let's make sure we don't forget the most important thing. I am the Lord, your God. You are my people. And the one, I am the one who delivered you from slavery. Now, now that we got that clear, I want you to learn a few things. As we learn to live together, as I help you live together, and he gives them the very first commandment. This is the very first commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. And I'm sure right now in this moment, they're thinking, okay, let me get this straight. We've been slaves our entire life, and out of nowhere, a deliverer shows up. Nature goes crazy, all in our favor. And the next thing you know, we're heading out to our own land, and you want to be our God. Well, of course we want you. Now, here's the point 
Here's something to think about. The Ten Commandments, all of them, were a confirmation of, not a condition of, the nation's relationship with God. God wasn't giving them laws to get in. He was giving them laws because they were already in. It wasn't a condition like, okay, I'm going to give you ten things. And if you do these things, you can be my people. But if you mess up on five of the ten, I'm going to give you a warning. If you mess up on eight of the ten, well, you know what? I'm going to get me a new people. No. And to be fair, God had every right to set it up that way. He had every right to make it conditional. But in the very beginning, as far back as we can go, God made it clear to the nation of Israel, you are my people even though you haven't done a thing to deserve it. And now that we have established the relationship, I want to teach you how to live together. I want to teach you how to live under my authority. So let's begin with the basics. Just don't have any other gods other than me. And when you read the rest of the Old Testament, what you see is a story of a people who constantly give up on God and disobey God, but he never gives up on them. And all throughout the history of Israel, we see God saying, our relationship, it's not the club model. It's the family model. So essentially, we can say this. With God, relationship precedes the rules. God opts for the family model over the club model, over the neighborhood association model, right? That's how he treated the nation of Israel. Now the question is, is that how he treats you? And if you take the Christian faith seriously, you will eventually come to the same conclusion. When it comes to rules, the rules are a confirmation of, not a condition of, a relationship with God. Another way to say it is this. Rules are given to redeemed people, not to redeem people. They're given to redeemed people. The rules are not given to redeem you. God gives rules to those who are already in a relationship with him. So, if this is true, regardless of where you land in terms of whatever religious system you, you land in, if that's true, that's staggering. If God's relationship with the nation of Israel is a model that you can rebel and you can be disobedient and you can go too far left and too far right and forget things and do your own thing, and God keeps coming back over and over and disciplining and disciplining not to pay you back, disciplining not to pay you back, but to bring you back like a good parent. If that is true, that is staggering. And that says something about the size of God's love and mercy and God's kindness. And so, we shouldn't be completely surprised when about 1,500 years after the giving of that law, Jesus walks onto this planet. And what does he do? Before he demands anything, he defies the law of nature by healing people, stopping storms, making money appear from nowhere, turning ordinary water into a beautiful cab, accomplishing other feats that were beyond human imagination. And before he demands anything, he says, hey, trust me. Just, 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 just trust me. Because the promise that God fulfilled to Abraham the promise that God fulfilled to Israel is a promise for all men and for all women. And just like it began with Abraham's faith and trust in God, it continues through faith and trust with the nation of Israel all the way through faith and trust in Jesus. And so John, 
who knew Jesus from the very beginning of his ministry, he summarizes it this way in John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. And this is so important. Jesus says, anything I require of you is evidence of my love for you. Anything I ask you to do is evidence of the fact that we have a pre-established relationship. You can trust me because all along it has been about you. I want you to think about that because we're going to pick this back up in two weeks from today. Which leads us to another question that I want you to discuss with others. When you were growing up, did you feel like religion was based on a family model? right? Or based on a club model or a neighborhood association model? Do you feel like, like God adopted a family model where because you're in, I have a purpose I want you to fulfill. And because you're family, I may discipline you, but you're unconditionally loved and can never be cast aside from the family. Is that how it was? Or did it seem like God was more of a contractual relationship with you where as long as you fulfilled your end of the bargain, he would uphold his end. Or did you feel like, I don't know, I never knew where I was with God. Like, like you were pretty sure God wouldn't kick you out, but he didn't like you very much. Or, or maybe he was even trying to make your life feel miserable. I want you to ask you that. And I want you to wrestle that to the ground. I want you to talk about that with some other people. Because next week we have something very special planned for Mother's Day. But the week after that, in two weeks, we're going to come back right here. And we're going to pick up right here where we're leaving off. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I just humbly ask for you to open our eyes to your truth. Despite our past experiences and beliefs, we earnestly seek to worship you as you truly are, not as we imagine you to be. We also pray for those who have given up on ever knowing you, maybe even feeling like it's futile to try. May your grace and mercy, God, just shine in their hearts, igniting a spark of hope that you can be known. Grant us the courage to take the necessary steps towards knowing you better. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, hey, friends, thanks for joining us today. If you think today's message might be valuable to someone you know, would you mind sharing this video? Not only could it be helpful for them, but by sharing this content as well as liking and subscribing to the channel that you're watching this on, it helps us accomplish our mission to raise the reputation of Jesus. And along those lines, could I also ask you to head over to our website, nextlevelchurch.org, uh, when you get there, there's a big green button in the top right. Uh, if you could click on that button, you'll see all the giving options that's there. Your faithful support helps us raise the reputation of Jesus where we live, work, and play. Now, by way of benediction, let me read you that last verse from John chapter 1, verse 12, where he's writing and he says, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. May the love of our Heavenly Father surround you and fill you with peace. May you always remember that you are a child of God and are a part of His family. And may this truth empower you to walk in hope and love and to share this blessing with everyone that's around you. Hey, invite someone to be with you this next week at Mother's Day, and I look forward to seeing you as we continue this series in two weeks after that. God bless you. Have a great week.